Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, September 17th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Gigi Broadway is back and she is with us as well. Gigi, how you feeling? Man, I'm feeling good, refreshed, rejuvenated. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> why, Gigi? Why, I why? think Friday night's full moon one of the rarest oh, full moons actually rejuvenated me and put me on the right track. I feel good. Man. Here's the thing. And you know this about me. I don't really fully understand <laughs> your cosmic atmosphere. I don't understand full moons. You talked about Mercury retrogrades the other episode. I don't know how any of this stuff has to affect your mood whatsoever. Oh, my God. You have got to realize how <laughs> the celestial bodies and the energy of the universe dictates your like life come on now well, let me ask you this are you into crystals am i am i into crystals? i should have known the answer to this ladies and gentlemen co- i have over 15 types of crystals i sleep with two Crystal- you sleep with crystals oh absolutely i can t- you don't understand i can tell the difference between when i have the amethyst under my pillow <laughs> and when i don't what does the crystals do for you well, the amethyst um, specifically. What is, hold on, this is a real crystal type name. Yeah, the amethyst. It's actually my birthstone. February, all the February people out there with the amethyst representing their birthstone. I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful crystals out there. Okay. I sleep with it to go into a deeper sleep, and it and it helps with dreams. Does it, does it help with toddlers? Because my, my son doesn't sleep. I'm telling you. Will it work through that? Slip an amethyst under his pillow. I laugh about this because. <laughs> I laugh about this because I've been watching. Look, so I've never watched in real time the original MTV show, The Hills. Do you know this show? Have oh, you watched the show? Yes. It was a guilty pleasure of mine. So are you watching the reboot of The Hills? I have not seen the reboot yet, and I'm mad at myself. Okay, so it's a horrible show. <laughs> the show is not very good at all. There's not a lot going on. It really is a social experiment about what goes wrong with reality TV and the characters. However... I say all that, and I tell you in the next sentence, I've watched every episode. <laughs> it's a horrible show, but I've it's seen every episode. miserable. I've watched every episode, and the most infamous character on the hills, uh, I guess throughout the whole thing, is uh, Spencer from Heidi and Spencer. Oh, of course. At one point, this individual, Heidi and Spencer, at one point, were making a million dollars, I think, a week, calling the paparazzi on themselves. No, 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 no. It was like a million dollars a month. It was some outrageous number that they were making to call the paparazzi on themselves to take pictures of them, like at the pumpkin patch (laughs) and in Hollywood. They would sell the photos of themselves and make millions of dollars. They lost it all. (laughs) They are are celebrity net worth of like $50,000. It's bad. If that, yeah. It's bad. I saw the rise and the fall of Heidi and Spence. However, the funny part about all of this is... There is a company out now called Pratt Daddy Crystals. It's Spencer since Spencer Pratt's his his crystal Wait. line. He has a crystal line, and that's how he's making his money. Pratt Daddy Crystals. You can go online and buy one. Safe plug. There's a plug for you. Pratt Daddy Crystals. There's a plug for you. It's a plug for the audience. Whoever follows the hills and you want to see Heidi and Spencer doing well, <laughs> go buy go buy some crystals from Spencer Pratt. They better be authentic because there are a lot of knockoff crystals out there. And I feel like Spence is the person to pull it off. But, you know, no uh, no shade. I, so I As a joke, I did go online and look. 
because I was gonna buy my wife some Pratt Daddy crystals for for a joke. Cause she she is made. If anyone has made fun of me about watching the hills, my wife has made fun of me about watching the hills. So, um, and it's not just that too. I will tell you, I go back and I've watched. Now I didn't watch it at the time. I've gone back on Amazon Prime, all six seasons, right there for you. You can watch everything. No no wait. But she makes fun of me about watching the hills new beginnings, and I was gonna buy her. Some Pratt Daddy crystals. Too expensive. They're too expensive. Way too expensive. I'm not paying $150 for some crystals. Oh, no. No, no, no. It was very expensive. You can get several crystals for that amount. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I got to do some research. It's only taken a couple minutes, and this show has gone completely off the rails already. Ladies and gentlemen, and we have a big, big show for you today on the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Change the page. We got to get serious just a little bit because... We have our first presidential candidate ever to call into the show and talk to the Cheats Movement audience about their bid for 2020, and it is Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete himself, Pete Buttigieg, mayor, former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He was in Virginia on Sunday. He hit a bunch of stops. He hit Richmond as well. He talked to us about our campaign and what he looks forward to the future. So our first presidential candidate, GG Broadway, Mayor Pete. Nice. Really excited about that. We should also, we're also going to have an interview from an amazing brother, an amazing poet, a featured poet here, and he's traveled all across the country, but he calls Richmond his home, Roscoe Burnham. Roscoe. Uh, really good friend of the Cheats movement. We're really excited to have him on. He is planning a very big show in October. Uh, one man, just call it like the Roscoe Burnham one man show special, and he's going to tell us all about that. Uh, we just have a lot to go through. Probably some life updates, Gigi Broadway. Bro, we we'll gotta check we gotta check in on all of this. We'll see. This is the Cheats Movement on W R I R. We'll be back after this. I think it's time for us to bring back Dipset. So, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, Dipset it is. Shoo. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, September 17th. I am very excited to bring to you a conversation that I had with Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is running for president. He's one of the candidates that is vying for the Democratic nomination. He has kind of taken the country by storm with his ideas and his candidacy, and it was an honor for him to give us some time on this show. He was in Richmond on Sunday. He was in Virginia on Sunday, and it's just amazing to see presidential candidates not flying over Virginia, really taking Virginia seriously and coming and making it a part of their campaign stops, and we hope to bring on as many candidates as possible as they vie for the White House in 2020, we're going to bring on local and state candidates as well. However, this is our very first one, so this is special to us. Um, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, our conversation with Mayor Pete. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. We have a very special guest on the line right now calling in from the campaign trail. He is one of the candidates for president uh, coming up in 2020, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mr. Mayor, how are you feeling? I'm good. We're uh, having a great time on the campaign trail. Thanks so much for doing this. And I know 
this is Tuesday, but I know that you were in Virginia on Sunday, which I believe is just awesome because for so long, Virginia and particularly where you were in Richmond and some places in Norfolk uh, has just not been considered presidential hotbeds. I know this is not your first trip to Virginia, so we're so excited to have you here in the Commonwealth. Tell us a little bit about your trip Sunday and what you learned from constituents on the trail. Well, uh, uh, the the first thing is that Election Day is not that far off when it comes to the Commonwealth of Virginia. So my election is a little further out, but we need to make sure that uh, Americans understand, and especially the voters in Virginia understand, that uh, we are uh, just uh, about 50 days away from a critical election. And the whole country, I think, will be looking to see what happens, especially in these races for the House of Delegates and for the Senate. Uh, they uh, helped turn a lot of heads and set the tone for what was coming back in 2017. I think the same is true now, uh, that it really is the beginning for 2020. So uh, I was impressed with the enthusiasm and the energy of the campaigns for so many Democratic candidates for uh, for those delegate and Senate races, and, and proud to uh, support them. We participated in a Kansas kickoff and uh, uh, saw how much excitement there is that I think will then carry over into 2020. That is very true. Virginia is one of those states that have elections every year, and they really do set the tone in many ways. And it was so great for you to visit in several places in Virginia and, and be with so many candidates. Let's talk about your upcoming uh, your race, which is, like you said, a little bit further off, but you are kind of in the midst of a very crowded field, and your campaign has really made some impact. So I'm just, you know, all across the country, you're hearing about Mayor Pete. How do you continue to distinguish your campaign with as the crowd starts to dwindle down? Well, I think now is a really critical time for the campaign. Now, a lot of voters won't make up their minds until the last few days of the primaries, which means uh, February and beyond. But what's happening right now in these weeks of the uh, of the late summer and the fall going into the winter is this is when the ground game picks up. It's when we're putting organizers in place, especially in the early states, who are forming the relationships that are going to make it possible for us to win. Uh, I've uh, been today in, in South Carolina meeting with voters here and opening up field offices. Uh, we got offices opening up in uh, places like uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. In Iowa, we've got about 100 organizers, and that ground game is going to become more and more important. Uh, meanwhile, in terms of uh, what you're going to see on the debate stage and the continued conversation that we're having among us competitors on television, I think that it's starting to become a little clearer uh, how we are each different from each other. And my campaign is about putting forward ideas that are bold enough to meet the challenges in front of us, including getting everybody health care, doing something about climate change, and acting on gun violence and can also uh, be something that unifies the American people. I don't think that every bold idea has to be a polarizing or divisive one. We actually have a majority right now among the American people for everything from background checks, red flag laws, and, and uh, an assault weapons sale ban, uh, to making sure that we act on climate and deliver an economy that actually works for all of us so that we never again get into a situation like we are right now where even when the gross domestic product is going up, uh, we're seeing life expectancy going down. We've got to make sure that everybody can thrive in this country, and we will continue to be distinguishing ourselves, not just with a perhaps a different style than some of the other candidates, but also a message that really emphasizes how these bold actions can, can unify the American people. And you do talk about bold ideas, and I've actually been extremely impressed looking over your website about policy. You, you continue to roll out policy. How do you go about putting out those bold ideas, but making sure they, they get heard in news cycles that are a little bit more interested in possibly gossip and things of that nature. 
Well, sometimes TV is a little more superficial, but we want to make sure that we have the, the best and well-thought-out policies. That means uh, a lot of consultation goes on. It's a lot of listening. That's why we haven't uh, come out of the gate with, uh, with, with everything figured out, but really uh, paid attention to what voters and experts were telling us as we built the policies that we have put forward from the uh, policy plan on mental health and addiction, dealing with the crisis of belonging as well as care in this country, to our Douglas plan, which is designed to be as ambitious as the Marshall Plan that rebuilt uh, Europe. It's named after Frederick Douglass, and it is designed this time to invest right here at home to dismantle systemic racism in this country. From our climate plan to our plan on rural uh, economies, we've made sure that we put forward uh, policies that really uh, show what it would take to move ahead. We're going to continue to do that, and I hope that folks will uh, take the time to go to PeteForAmerica.com and learn more, because uh, it's hard to get some of these ideas out in a soundbite. When I'm on the trail, I'm usually just making sure I explain the values that are the priorities when we're making those policies. But those who are interested and want to know about the details of how we propose we deal with these issues, uh, from making sure that teachers are being paid better to making sure that unionization grows in this country so that the middle class is protected, I hope you will go on and and, uh, check our policies in greater detail. And I encourage everyone to do so. I know you're short on time. I do have one um, additional question, and you mentioned the Douglas Plain. This, the audience that you're uh, speaking to right now is mostly African-Americans, uh, hip-hop generation, if you will, hip-hop culture. One of the things that has been so important, and it's fairly newer in regards to public discourse, is the term of economic equity. And I know that you uh, have put that out and you've talked a lot about it and you've heard a lot about it. Um, I do have a question in regards to just how do we go about ensuring economically everyone, uh, including African-Americans, more equitable share of uh, the country's wealth? Well, so much depends on what you had to begin with. And uh, most black Americans have experienced the consequences of generational theft that uh, goes back to slavery, but also uh, doesn't go back only into the distant past because some of the policies that led to this, uh, including the segregation of neighborhoods and exclusion from being able to access things like the GI Bill, actually happened in the very uh, recent uh, past and even within living memory. It's why the Douglas Plan proposes that we be intentional about addressing these inequities with everything from funding to support HBCUs that are Uh, training and educating a new generation of professionals to making sure that the government itself is using the purchasing power of the American taxpayer to lift up entrepreneurs. There are so many uh, things going on that are inspiring uh, among uh, black entrepreneurs and minority business owners. Uh, We've got to make sure that from access to credit to access to business at what I propose be a 25% target for the federal government, uh, that we make sure we're putting our money where our mouth is and Uh, making concrete steps that are going to make a difference when it comes to economic equity in our lifetime. Uh, This is not only a specialty issue. I'm talking to majority white audiences about this, too, because the whole country is going to be held back as long as some of us aren't participating fully in the economic prosperity that that, that America can deliver. That is that is exactly right and such a good message. I know you're extremely short on time, so I won't look. I usually ask uh, every interview what's in their playlist. Give me one song, one theme song that you're riding to, you and your staff, when you're on those long drives, you're on those planes. What keeps you motivated? Uh, well, we love uh, uh, Round the Bend by Creedence Clearwater Revival, maybe because I'm uh, from South Bend. We're always thinking <laughs> about the Bend. So uh, uh, that's one pick that's, uh, uh, that's in the back of my head right now. 
Well, we really appreciate the time. You'd mentioned it, but please, one more time, tell everyone where they can hear about where you're going to be, the details about your plan. Um, just let everybody know where they can research more about you and your and your candidate. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter, at Pete Buttigieg. You can go to PeteForAmerica.com, our website, and see all about our plans. You can text the word Pete to 25859, and uh, uh, then we will uh, always let you know when we're coming somewhere close to you. And uh, I do hope to have a chance to meet more of your listeners as we travel this country. And uh, next time we're coming back to Virginia, too. Thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. It is a pleasure to have you. Best of luck and safe travels as you go throughout the country. Thank you. Take care, and thanks for having me on. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, September 17th. We are back. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is here. I am here in full effect. Full effect. I am. It's, I mean, here's the thing. Gigi, we talk about this all the time. We, oh, we have a wish list of guests always. We always are trying to figure out who we can bring in and, and you know, have them address the Cheats Movement audience. I know we want to get way more presidentials on, but it's really awesome to have Mayor Pete Buttigieg as our first presidential candidate going into 2020. Absolutely. It's an important time, man. Who better? Hey, look, I mean, some <laughs> I, I'm excited. I'm excited that he was our first one. I hope to have many more. I really do. I want to make this as uh, robust as a discussion as possible. Obviously, the stakes could not be higher when you're talking about people running for the White House. So it's really, really exciting that we had our first one, and hopefully it's just the first of many. If you have the right crystal, you could actually will it into existence. <laughs> but who am I? There you are in your crystals again. <laughs> we really can't thank uh, Mayor Pete enough, and we hope to have all the candidates on in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, it's about that time for our favorite segment. A little bit different this week, but Gigi Broadway is here. She is ready to go. She is chomping at the bit for another session of We See It or We Don't See It. Gigi, are you ready? Of course. I've been waiting. I've got a, a personal one okay. for you to start to start the We See It session, and I'd love to get your opinion on this and the opinion of all our Cheats Movement listeners because today is Tuesday. Yesterday, Monday is, you know, first day of the week. We're getting everything ready. Kids are going back to school. You know, the weekend is over. Sunday, I had a very interesting day or an interesting thing for me on a Sunday. And I'm going to ask you how you feel about this because Sunday, I attended, I am 40 years old. I attended my first Sunday wedding. Hmm. My first Sunday wedding, I attend. I went, and congratulations to our friends uh, that got married. It was, a, it was a wonderful ceremony. It was outside. It was beautiful. Manor House uh, out in Atley, Mechanicsville, Atley area. Oh, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. However, the wedding was Sunday at 1 o'clock. Mm. The reception immediately followed the wedding. Do you see or do you not see Sunday weddings? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> if you would have asked me this 10 to 15 years ago, sure, Sunday weddings, why not? I'm really? all for it. Okay. However, this is a surprise. That is not where I thought you were going with uh -huh. this. Go ahead. However, in this present day and time, any jubilant celebration that you want me to be actually like celebratory and there's an open bar, 
Right. Sunday is not the best time, in my opinion. You know, it's just not enough time to recoup afterwards. Here's the: I love the wedding. I loved it. Cameron was a ring bearer. Aria was in the wedding. I loved being a part of it. It was it was a wonderful experience. Expression of love. A lot of people came out. I was challenged by a couple of things on a Sunday wedding. Okay. You mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned one already. Open bar, beautiful setting, wonderful day. I kind of wanted to turn up. Right? I kind of wanted to turn up. You got to. However, I felt limited in my turn up. Yep. Because again, the wedding was the wedding was a beautiful ceremony but short. So we were the wedding was probably 1 to one thirty of that. Right? Okay. And then there's a cocktail hour. So so you say the reception hits in full swing around 2:30. We had till 2:30 to 6 to get your dance on, get your drink on, really enjoy the Sunday wedding. I felt restricted because I knew I had to work the next day, right? Have to go to work. I knew we had like drive home at like a respectable Sunday hour. I mean, as wonderful and beautiful as it was, I felt I felt like I felt a little bit tight. As you should. I mean, anybody with like a nine to five or, or a Monday through Friday. I mean, you 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 can't help but to feel restricted. Kids, kids gotta kids. you gotta wake up early. Kids gotta go to school the next day. Yeah. The the other thing that I found very interesting about the Sunday, you know, afternoon early evening reception. Even though, like I said, everyone was merry, the drinks were flowing, and the drinks were flowing. <laughs> Yet, another challenge I had was I felt as if. Like, the dancing part of this was another thing where I felt like I couldn't go full-fledged on because it's like Sunday afternoon, like I said, I'm going to I'm gonna limit myself a little bit on the alcoholic beverages. Mm-hmm. I'm going to limit myself a little bit on the turn-up, on the dancing, because, again, I can't work too hard because the next day is Monday. That's the thing. It's, it's hard, man. Sunday weddings, I mean, you know, I've always been a firm believer that the Sunday is the Sabbath, the day of rest. And that's all I really want to do is rest. You know, the turn up is real. And on a Sunday, it's just, it's a bit much. I feel like, you know, I feel like that, that Saturday night wedding. Cause again, I got, I had a Saturday, I want to say I had a Saturday evening wedding Mm -hmm. and you know, the only thing I cared about. So I let Aria do everything she needed to do in regards to planning. I tried to be as supportive as possible. The only thing I cared about was as soon as we could hit the dance floor, we were hitting the dance floor and we were not getting off the dance floor until they kicked us out of the reception hall. Like dance party was the only thing I cared about. And I was like, let's make this happen. I feel like that directive is challenged on a Sunday wedding. That's absolutely correct. And you know, one of the dance, uh, the dance part is a vital part of the celebration. Let's be clear. What is the most important part of like so? <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> no, no, I joke about this because uh, we watch a lot of four weddings. Have you ever seen the show? Are you familiar with this show? I am not. So the concept of four weddings is there are four ladies that are all getting married around the same time, and they're vying for a paid for um honeymoon oh wow so you know in versions of it the four women know each other but in the on the earlier versions they were four complete strangers so you invite three other strangers to your wedding and then they give you this the rating on like overall experience food wedding dress decor 
and they rate everyone, and whoever gets the higher rating gets the honeymoon, the free honeymoon. That's wow! It's an amazing show. I think it's it's on TLC or Lifetime or something. But it's 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 a like it's a long time. It's been going for a long time because before me and Aria got married, we watched. She watched. I say we, but she watched a lot of four weddings. <laughs> I was in the room. <laughs> And we kind of figured out a lot of what we like and what we don't like, what people did well, what people didn't do well. And it's just I'm just telling you, the Sunday wedding, uh, we, were talk- we, we were talking about this on the way home from the wedding, and it was like, I probably got to give it a demerit, and even if it was a beautiful wedding, because the wedding I went to was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I don't know if I can win four weddings with a Sunday wedding, because I'm going to get a demerit for just being on a Sunday. Yeah, it's a bit hard to pull a Sunday wedding off, like, Ugh. and not just, you know, because you, you don't want to, like, limit yourself. And so here's the, uh, the other thing, which is a complete, I mean, you're going to get this on a Sunday anyway, but it's also now with the advent of social media and fantasy football, Ugh. like, around you know reception time two thirty, three o'clock a lot of the dudes are just huddled up in the corner checking their fantasy football stats yeah i mean come on now so there's no television there we didn't get to see any of the games but which, which could have been a nice tie-in honestly if you had like a big sports bar type theme but then that would have had a whole bunch of people mad because all the dudes or, or fans right <laughs> not i don't want to limit it to yeah, to no. men but all like- the fans would have been huddled around television trying to find out what the latest scores were and then, then you would have more challenge with your dancing. And Another your, deduction off of that. I don't know. And Sunday is like that good football day. Now that I know, because I'm still like boycott. I wouldn't <laughs> know. Bo- you're still fake boycott. I'm still the, fake uh, boycott. I won't be honest. Hey, look. The Eagles played Sunday, and it was it was. There you go. But yeah, I oh Sunday weddings, man. I don't know. I don't know if I can like sign off on that. Ladies and gentlemen, you tell us what you think. Hey, I, I want, and I will say it was a beautiful wedding that we attended on Sunday. Uh, it was awesome to do. My wife was in the in the wedding, and Cameron was a ring bearer. It was it was it was a blast and a really good time. And you know, I love weddings. Weddings are great. Oh yeah. This was my very first Sunday wedding, so that was tough. that was just. An adjustment. This is your first and last, or no, no, no. I mean, look, I can't control when other people. That's the other thing. You can't control when other people get married. You can't. You really you can't control if you go or not. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you think I had a choice? I just told you, Aria was a bridesmaid and Cameron was in the wedding. Do you really think I had a choice if I was going or not? I take that back. No choice at all. No choice at all. Mm. No. So I, I, I can't. Uh, you know, that's how it is, and. Most everyone understands. <laughs> Anyone that's in a committed relationship <laughs> understands that you don't have a choice. Moving on. Is it is it time to get into messy stuff? That's got a little little mess, man. That's much. You know, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax has been out of the news for a while. He has. He has. Low. He's been laying low. He's actually both Governor Northam and Lieutenant Governor Fairfax have kind of quietly went about their business they were gone about like hey they said we're not stepping down mm-hmm. attorney mark Her- attorney general mark herring all three of them we're not stepping down we're gonna quietly go about our business we're gonna do the things that we need to to rebuild trust and we're just gonna move forward and there's the truth of the matter is there's nothing no one can do about it e- even if you wanted to but this is what this is their approach that they've taken until last week oh and and it's not a I don't think it's a, I'm not going to go about my business, but what it was was clearly a signal from Lieutenant Governor Fairfax that I am not accepting any of this as truth without putting up a fight. So this is what we have. 
Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax has filed suit against CBS for $400 million, claiming that they defamed his character and ran stories stories that they knew to be false. Do you see Justin Fairfax suing a national media organization like CBS for $400 million? I definitely see it. And let me say, I am here for it. Continue on. Anybody that has the cojones to go against a media conglomerate and say, you know what? I will not be bullied. I will not let you put this thing on me that is not true and wants to stand there. Oh, I am for it. Let's go. I'm behind him 100%. In in the lawsuit, not necessarily. <laughs> Let's, let me specify this because I know, I know you and I know where you are. Uh, you feel like if a innocent if you feel like if he feels like he is innocent or, or says he because he completely categorically since day one has mm-hmm. denied all allegations against him yep if that is the case you feel like that the person that the, the accused should be able to go full throttle in trying to make sure that their name is clear Look, i just want to get this cleared because when you're like i'm i'm 100 percent it's out i know what you were getting at right because yeah. and so you feel as if you know, this is. Do you think that this is the best way for someone like Lieutenant Governor Fairfax to go about kind of clearing what name he can? Because you know this, allegations are printed in big headlines. Mm-hmm. Retractions are barely printed on page two at the bottom of the page. Right. So he's he's actually made a headline by saying, "Hey, this is not true," and going as far as suing CBS. Oh yeah, I'm here for every single second of it and you know some people may think that 400 million is a lot of money but when you're like going up against an entity like cbs it's not enough i mean i i I, i'm just for him man i do think 400 million is a lot of money but i don't think there's a price tag you can place on a damaged reputation in his case i i i i can't say because here's the thing Obviously, you and I both weren't in those rooms. Nobody was in those rooms, right? Right. Um, you know, the whole thing is disturbing from start to finish. The whole thing is disturbing. Yeah. Um, but it's extremely disturbing when it's such a big story and there's, you know, Gail King is interviewing folks and mm-hmm. they're running stories. And they were, and they, I think they, I think CBS ran interviews of the accusers that accused him. And, you know, it, it, it's it's really difficult, even if you're in those stories saying it didn't happen this way or, I, you know, I, I'm innocent or type things. That is clearly not the headline. Right. So it, it, I don't know how anyone that's accused that feels strongly that they've been done wrong. I don't know how you go about, you know, you know, repairing that kind of damage without really going full throttle and saying, you know, all the things like I'm, you know, I believe Justin uh, Fairfax, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax said he was willing to take a lie detector test. He was willing to have these investigations or, or hearings before the General Assembly. He was we- willing to do a bunch of things. Um, and I do think that that's probably the only way. And this is probably the last straw, right? Like the last straw is, you know, you file suit. Yeah. I mean, because we all know that media controls the narrative pretty much of anything. So when you're going up against such a big powerhouse. I, I think it's the only way to really make 
an impact. Hit him in the pockets. And I don't know if this is possible. Can you file suit against the accusers? Because he filed suit against CBS for running the stories. Yeah. But I wonder, I mean, I don't know if there's any legal action that he could kind of, if there was a suit and a countersuit type thing. I think so. I, I, just, I just don't know. And that probably is something that... Um, they're exploring. I think the the interesting thing about all of this in the in the landscape of Virginia politics, if you're looking at it in a pol- uh, political realm, right, mm-hmm. is Governor Northam can't run for election. It was for the leadership of the Democratic Party prior to February 2019. Prior to and February was when, for listeners, that was when the photo came out of Governor North uh, that. The photo came out, the, the blackface uh, in the Klan robe, in which now Governor Northam says that he does not believe, he strongly believes that that was not him in those photos. But that's when it came out, yeah. in February of 2019. I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible. But leading up, I mean, you got to understand the position that Virginia Democrats had been in. They, they had won the governor's mansion. They had swept, right, with Northam, Fairfax, and Mark Herring as mm-hmm. attorney general. They swept statewide. Yep. Uh, Northam Governor Northam can't run again, so naturally it's one of the two. It's one of uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax or Attorney General Mark Herring that is instantly in the lead dog seat to be the next governor of Virginia. Yeah. So and you know when all this stuff happened as well, they were calling at the time. You know they were calling for Governor Northam to resign immediately. That would have put. Lieutenant Governor Fairfax in the governor's seat, and then that's when the first allegations on Justin Fairfax surfaced. Yep. So if you're putting all of this in perspective and you're trying to get a read on what can you do, right? What can you do if you feel like you have been done wrong from the top down? What what can you do? And I think Justin Fairfax, more than anyone else, has a lot to lose if he was in line to be governor of Virginia, possibly, right? Yeah, for sure. Do you think a lawsuit of this elk is uh, is effective, if you will, in restoring image? Uh, it just depends. I mean, I don't even know if the outcome per se. I don't know. It's just it's tough. I I think it does more good than harm, honestly. You know, and if he can pull it off, and if he is victorious in this lawsuit, it's a win-win situation. I mean, I I think it's a good move. Here's the thing. The whole thing, the whole thing from start to finish has been extremely disturbing. I have friends that work very closely. Justin Fairfax, he's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. I have friends on the other side that, that know some of the accusers. I mean, it is a, from start to finish, there's, you know, pretty much when there's a no there's a no win situation in regards to this whole story. Um, and I do think for anyone that's accused, we've got to be very mindful of accusations um, and then how we go about handling those accusations. And so those are all, you know, people have got to make up their own mind based off of their own personal experiences. But, it, you know, it, it is dangerous um, that we have, you know, when we talked about, we talked one of the biggest topics on the show is cancel culture, yeah. right? And and and, it, and you start to see more and more of the dangers of people just being, or anyone, you know, being labeled guilty before, you yes. know, any type of way of due process and and trying and fact finding and those types of things. So 
hey, look, I don't know how all of this is going to come out. I do know that this isn't going away anytime soon. And that's kind of, you know, kind of, kind of sad in the long run, but this is something we live in an era now where it's just, it's a story after story. And this one is just really close to home for us. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, September 17th. I have a disclaimer before the next interview. We are about to talk to my man, Roscoe Burnham, and he has a show coming up in October called Tromedy, the Cheats Movement LLC. Uh, my parent company is involved in the show, so as full disclosure as disclosure gets, I wanted to let everyone in the audience know that the Cheats Movement LLC is involved in the production of Tromedy, uh, and now we're going to talk to Roscoe Burnham. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, September 17th. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am joined by a very special guest, my good friend Roscoe Burnham. Roscoe, how's it going? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I am excited to have you. You are no stranger to the Cheats Movement. Anybody that was at the ICA, our live show that we did last year, it was our midterm election special. Roscoe, you were a blessing to be able to lend your words of wisdom in your poetry to that uh, production. So that was your probably your first time on the Cheats Movement, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my first time. It was, it was, and it was great too. I like, I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you have a new look. You know what? Before we go too much further, let me do this the right way. I want to do this the right way for anyone that is not familiar with who is on the microphone right now. Roscoe Burnham is a national poetry slam champion. He is a two-time Southern Regional Team finalist, a three-time Southeast Regional North Carolina Slam champion, 2019 Underground Poetry Slam champion, three times published author and teaching artist. You do a lot, brother. Yeah, man. I've been I've been doing this about uh, almost about 12 years, almost about 12 years now. And you are about to do something brand new. Right, you're yeah, doing about to do something brand new on October 20th. Tell me about Tromedy, a poetry and comedy special. Tell me how it came about and like the whole process. Tell me how it started. Uh, it started with my crippling depression. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, let's, no, let's just so, jump right into it. Just jump right in there. Break you know? it down for me, brother. Um, so uh, mental health and, and particularly depression and anxiety and things of that nature is something that I'm very candid about, especially within the, la- the latter part of my career. Um, a, a lot of the pieces that I talk to lend itself to talking about mental health, particularly in communities of color. Um I've been very open about my struggles with depression and suicide and suicide ideation and um, what's been a coping, uh, a healthy coping strategy for me is poetry. It's it's poetry is the is the the medium that saved my life. And um and then what people are finding out now that I've I've I just finished a, a book tour to promote the the last two collections. Um, what people are finding out is that I love comedy probably just as much as I love poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and shout out to my mom. It's my mother's birthday, uh, so shout out to mama. Happy birthday, moms! <laughs> um, but she she's really the one who kind of exposed me to to stand up when I was about she's like nine or so. We were watching 
like these whole box sets of deaf comedy jam sure um and i was way too young to be watching any <laughs> of this um so i don't know if it was bad parenting bad parenting or good parenting but i'm grateful for it right. <laughs> either way and uh and i saw like bernie mac and adele givens and i fell in love with the art after that and um and it's just like you know people love to laugh you know what i mean and sometimes you know you want to you're ex we're all experiencing these like really heavy things and what kind of breaks us away from at least for a moment is laughter sometimes um so i fell in love with that just as much as i fell in love with with the with poetry and so i found this way while i while i've been on the road um with this tour and my last one with these like funny stories and anecdotes about my life and um uh, and finding this, you know, kind of this amusing way to kind of talk about it, in in between these really heavy poems, mm -hmm. so it just be, kind of became a thing, and it's something that I've, I've done while I've been on the road for uh, probably the last couple of years, and so now I'm kind of com you know comprising, putting all this stuff together, putting all this material together, and I came back home, and uh, and I'm putting on this show now. So and, and tell me about it because when I think of poetry and when I in particularly think of slam poetry and the type of poetry that you do at the Writers Den and some of your colleagues do, I, there might be of a night of say let's just estimate let's just guess okay on a night of say twenty poems there might be three poems that really are funny yeah that's about that's then, about right and then the rest of the poems are really really deep. I'm snapping my fingers. I'm trying to dissect and break down every lyric. Right. How did you come about kind of exploring how to lighten the room, right? Because those are heavy rooms when you're on tour and there's yeah. a, a bunch of heavy poems. And, and you can you can do that. You're versatile enough. And some of your poems are extremely heavy. But how do you go about like lightening that room or lifting that cloud, if you will? You know, I think um, I think you have to find the, the humor in, in just about anything. Um, I mean, I, th I think we do it kind of naturally in conversation. You know, no conversation, no matter what the topic is, is 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 always angry or always you know as passionate. Sometimes it's these like little small, quick, lighthearted moments where we laugh about something, or you know, you, you reminisce. Particularly if you reminisce, you know, what I mean, you start looking back on your memories and um, and you're <laughs> Some like, of those are funny now, right? They're they funny now funny at the time. And so, and so, and and a lot of that is how it how it happens, I man. You know, I talk about you know where I was then and and you know the you know depression sometimes is like that that voice in your head that tells you to like that you're you're worthless or whatever right and so it's like you, you think about where you were then and what you've come from and, and you can laugh at it now you know what i mean because you made it through and i think it's really important that people see that um and see that you know that you can kind of like you can grow from this you can move forward and then when you look back it's like okay it wasn't so bad you know I'm, I'm still here and that's what matters do you approach it differently do you approach the light elements that you do in your work differently than like a, a straight poem right so there's going to be poems that you present but then like you said there's going to be these kind of vignettes or these in, in, in between sketches that may be a little bit lighthearted. when you're preparing for you know a consistent show that includes kind of both of these elements do you prepare the same or do you prepare the elements differently um the writing is different and so po poetry as a performance art is um very much like monologuing for any theater kids out there uh and so in um so i approach it in, in the in that way so it's it's just it's me kind of getting the stuff off my chest. Um, you know, poetry can be really conversational, but you know that you're like you're speaking directly to an audience. There's no necessary. There's not necessarily any. Um, 
uh, there's no dialogue. You know what I mean? Like you're just you're giving you're giving what you have um, to a listening ear, right? But comedy is always supposed to be very conversational, um, and the audience can respond with laughter. I mean, you know, or we've seen comedians do crowd work. You know what I mean? Sure. Where you know, so like comedy is designed to be very conversational. So when you're coming out of a poem, you know, I want to be a little more interactive and kind of break that fourth wall with the with the audience and um, and have these kind of relatable stories and and connect and, and make eye contact and and build that rapport with the audience. You know what I mean? Like while these transitions are happening. So I've seen you perform before, and I feel like in in many ways that you do that not just with comedy, like you do that in your poetry. You're very interactive in many ways. Um, when you you know you are very good with crowd engagement, and and you know what it is? It's probably that I've seen you host almost as much I've seen you. Perform. Yeah. And hosting is kind of like that, and I, and I and I love that too. And you know I I host a writers den. Um, poetry slam that mm-hmm. we do every month and um there's a lot of comedic elements in that because like you know i'm not performing then right it's just it's like it's all the you know i have you know you have all these poets that come through sure. and and they have all the heavy work and all the you know the the dark and depressing and the angry and the political and so on and so forth and it's like okay well you know i don't want people to stay there so as a host you got to keep that energy up keep and so you find you know you find what you know find things to joke about you know you find these like cool like little segues that you know kind of get people chuckling for a little bit before we just jump right into another like really really you know um you know emotional experience and so you know you so i pick up a lot of things along the way um from doing stuff like that talk to me about your your time on the road so i know that you've just come off i don't know what number of tour this is but you've just come off tour and you were all over the country 2019 seems to be an interesting time period for kind of spoken word poetry if you will traveling poetry if you will um you and i have talked off camera and in the, uh, and in the past about there was some periods there uh, you mentioned deaf comedy jam but there were some periods there where deaf pop deaf comedy poetry yeah deaf poetry and, yeah right some deaf poetry hosted by most deaf right on HBO. Right. um that came that kind of followed some uh, you know uh, slam poets going on the road and, and winning Tonys and doing all these right. things. So there was some real kind of ebbs and flows in, I guess, society's consciousness of slam poetry. As you travel the country, what do you find now? Do you find it to you know to be as receptive as ever, or is is there more work to do for people to really come out and be involved in in the slam poetry scene? I I always think that there's more work to do. Um, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a, I come from a school of thought that, you know, the work is never finished. You know, the, the poem is the, the poem is never complete. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's always more crafting that can happen anywhere. Um, I think on a, on a national level, we've always had these, these ebbs and flows when it comes to like spoken word, and you know, at like at during the the deaf poetry era, um, it was like kind of one of the peaks of of poet of performance poetry and subsequently slam poetry and then it kind of died off um and then it uh um, even there was a, a show called verses and flow um uh, for a while that was sure, on it was uh, back on hbo yeah mm-hmm. and um that kind of like resurged this kind of like love for like spoken word and things of that nature and then it that died out and so i think poetry is always going to pe- be kind of like that um because it's such an, an emotional experience and sometimes you get a, a social climate that's craving that and then you get a you get a climate that's not and so i think that's there it's always going to kind of have its peaks and valleys as a result um 
where I think spoken word has grown to now is that it's not just slam, it's not just the open mics. You're you're hearing poetry in commercials. You're hearing spoken word artists pop up on albums. I I heard Sonny Patterson on a Two Chains album. I was like, yeah. what is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like so. Uh, I think I think spoken word is branching out and doing more things, and that's the reason why I'm really really excited about Tromedy because I think it's going to open up a lane for other poets who I know one work the comedy circuit you know when they're not doing poems Mm -hmm. um and are probably just as good at that as they are at getting on a slam poetry stage and but never thought to put the two together and so I think this is going to help help kind of create a lane for other people who have all these other talents to kind of merge that together with spoken word and branch that out further well, you said you mentioned it, and it does seem like a seamless transition in regards to kind of poetry and comedy in that way. There's also a seamless transition in my mind because you you mentioned um, the the slam poetry a poem, the Sonny Patterson being lifted in a commercial. I always think of hip hop. Like I always go back to kind of the characteristics yeah. of hip hop, and even you know, Outkast albums had a bunch of uh, poets on them back in the day. Like, well, Big Rube was, was the one yeah. that was always on an Outkast album, or Mums was always on some... One of Outkast's, like, best songs is Spodioli, Dopalicious sure. Angel. Yeah, yeah. And they're not, even, they're not even really rapping in that in that joint. They're just <laughs> doing poetry. You know what I mean? They're just doing poetry. You know, like, nobody even really catches it. You know but, what I mean? But you see, it always made sense. And that's why it was so fitting at the time that most deaf hosted deaf poets. Or Bobito Garcia hosted every week the New York Recon and and right and New York. It just made sense because it was such a uh, they're cousins, man. I yeah. tell people all the time, man. Rap, rappers and poets are cousins, uh, and, it's, and it's always it's always been like that. And shout like so. I mean, and you know what? I really owe that to like Gil Scott Heron, who who Facts. would. Do these? I mean, essentially, it's spoken word. I mean, the it was last, poets. last poets, last exactly. Yeah, like there's always been a there's always been a unity there between the two. You know, what I mean, they're very, very closely closely related, um, and and there's like s- similar elements in in both. And so, uh, and I don't actually feel a, a real. I don't personally feel a real like real reason to really separate the two. Like I feel like they exist kind of in the same vein, and sure. I want to see more collaborative work within within the hip hop community and within poetry. Like I want to see more of that like merge together. Well, you mentioned that you are one of the co-founders or founder of the Writers Den, right? And, and so so, tell me the difference because Richmond has a, a you know at this point in our age bracket, you know. You have the Writers' Den. We've had Tuesday Verses that's gone uh, on for years and maintained right. such an element that has such a large kind of poetry aspect along with hip-hop and along with other things as well. Um, Lyric Ave. There, there's been so many types of yeah. things that um, I feel like talks about that subculture that all is merged in one. Tell me the difference between, or if there is a difference, between Richmond's kind of creative poetry scene and some of the scenes that you see when you go on the road and tour. So yeah, and so you know what I didn't I didn't even get to that. So like on being on the road and seeing these different cities, you start to see like what cities really just have a love for the art, and what cities just 
kind of don't um <laughs> or, or, or not <laughs> you know what i mean it's it, it's and, it, and you can't control that you know what i mean it's just like it's wherever the culture grows man i was out in austin texas and austin texas they just love texas in general just loves poetry they just love all of it dallas has a huge scene houston has a huge scene austin san antonio i wonder is that link because those communities that you mentioned also have that same reputation for music like live music do you notice that? Yeah, like actually, Austin I didn't, I didn't even think about that. When you think about Austin in particular, you're thinking of indie. Just you think about yeah. Southwest and these love. So go continue. I don't want to cut you off, but I'm but no, you're right. They have they have an they have an appreciation or a love for like for live, culture. yeah, for, yeah, for live entertainment. And I think that and, and poetry fits right in that vein. Same thing with like Chicago and DC. Like they love they love it. You know what I mean? And so and then sometimes you get like little smaller smaller cities um, that. You know, it's kind of you know, it's kind of touch and go. You know what I mean? So, um, with the scene in Richmond, the scene in Richmond, <laughs> <laughs> as he as he sighs, I I I think it's gonna be I think there's gonna be a positive outcome. So bring it home, Roscoe. Bring it home for us. The the scene in Richmond is bubbling. The scene in Richmond is bubbling. Okay. Um, there is there's always been poetry's always been kind of this kind of underground kind of art form. Um, that I, I feel like has always wanted to be mainstream or kind of like or kind of get into like mainstream and have the same appreciation that Richmond like now has for like like you know hip hop like Richmond has this crazy like hip hop scene that's kind of bubbling. <laughs> Depends now. on what hip hop artist you talk to, but I, I guess get, yeah I yeah you're right. <laughs> Everything is relative. Everything but uh, is relative. I feel like but I feel like Richmond has this like, kind of like bubbling hip hop scene where you know what I mean where it's like you know there's the, all these different platforms that are starting to exist for hip hop. Same thing with the stand up comedy scene in Richmond. Stand up comedy is, is like is like really good in Richmond right now. Like there's like spots every night. There's like, you know, there's big rooms, small True. rooms. There's like, and so I think poetry has always kind of wanted to be that, but it's, it's kind of struggled. Um, you know, artists come and go, they don't either, they don't stay in Richmond or they don't, they stop doing poetry and they move on to something else. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of the last ones that's like kind of riding this out. Um, there's like me and, see where, and a, see where it goes. there's like me and, you know, in a handful. And I think the, the, the beauty in that though, the thing is that there is never died. It's, um, there's always been someone to take up the torch. Um, and so I've seen younger poets now coming through these spots and, um, with the same kind of passion in, in in their eyes for the craft that I had that Megan Rickman Blackwood has that narrator had you know what I'm saying like so you know I think it's just it's time for I think there's a lot of transitions that happen in poetry within Richmond um, because we're not necessarily like a bigger scene those transitions transitions happen a little quicker um, and so I'm, I'm excited now though to see all these like new these new kids that come through verses now all the time with new work every week um and ready to you know ready to kill it and so you are also before i get you out of here you are also a teacher uh, yes you, i am also an educator right so in in one of the things whether it's art 180 or you know in, in more even formal classrooms that you're that you're teaching about how do you go about teaching that next generation of poets and wordsmiths what do you as a teacher and an educator what do you try to relate to them when they're coming into their own as a writer and as a poet um as a young writer i think it's important for them to um appreciate the history of the craft um you know i'm a, I'm a big believer that if you don't know where you come from then you 
you won't know where you're going, right? Or if you want to really like push the craft forward, you won't know how to do that until you've seen what other people have done with the craft, right? So it's important to, you know, in hip hop is respect the architects, right? Like, and I think that's, that's true. You got to go back and you got to look at what Talam AC did and what Sonny Patterson did and what Saul Williams did and what, you know, what Gil Scott Heron did to know, okay, I got my own style, but this is how I'm going to like evolve the culture because the evolution is, is a necessary thing and it has to happen continuously. So I think you got to reach back and you got to look at what's, what's already happened and why and, and how we even got here, right? And then it's like, from there, it's, you know, how much time, it's the hours, you know what I mean? How much time are you dedicating to the craft? You know what I mean? Like, you can't just show up at an open mic all the time and just read something that you wrote five minutes ago when you before you got <laughs> off the bus. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not going to work. So it's been done before. I mean, look, sometimes it's <laughs> may, hot. Yeah, it may not work out well, but I'm sure it's been done before. Sometimes it's going to be hot. You know what I mean? The audience is going to love it. But, way, baby. Yo, some, but sometimes it's going to be trash. You know what I mean? And like, right. so, you know, you got to be willing to put put in the work. You know, sometimes I think some uh, newer artists especially want all the success without the hours to, you know you know but that's just not how that's just not how um longevity works you know what i mean it's cool to get your 15 minutes you know it's cool to get the, the quick stand and know while you're on stage but then after that's over you know what's next well your career has gotten you here october 20th tromedy at the dark room in the hoff yeah tell the audience what they should expect i know they're gonna expect a little bit of Poetry, a little bit of live, kind of a lot of sketch comedy in between the poetry, but this is not your typical kind of poetry event. You've added some elements. There's gonna, it's gonna be recorded live. Tell us really what you're hoping to accomplish with the vibe of this event. So yeah, so it, so it is a live taping. Um, it and this and this really is one of the first of its kind. I don't, I don't, um, I know. Uh, more often than not, it gets tagged as kind of like a one-man show. Um, but the reason why I'm, I'm very deliberate about calling it a poetry and comedy special um, is because this isn't just, you know, an hour of monologuing, right, where you just kind of sit back and eat your popcorn and just watch the show. This is an interactive experience. Um, this is designed to be relatable. This is designed, you're, you're, you're going to find yourself somewhere in the poems, somewhere in the the funny anecdotes and the, and the stories, and, you know, you're going to find yourself in that. Um, and so you know you're gonna you know you're gonna laugh till you cry you're gonna cry till you laugh and that's and that's the point you know what I mean because we're all experiencing um, some level of trauma and we all want to want to escape it in some way and so you're about to see like how how I do it that we're gonna have to leave it there Roscoe Burnham's it is Tromedy it is Sunday October twentieth and the dark room at the Hoff doors open at seven Tromedy begins at eight. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is that time for us to wrap up the program. As always, you can email the show at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. Any mail that you have, uh, you know, taking down Gigi's opinions, please send it to us. We will read them on the air because Lord knows I can't do it all by myself. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we got to thank Mayor Pete Booty Judge. We've got to thank Roscoe Burnham. Uh, make sure you check them out. Until next time, Richmond, we, we see, see it. it.